0: Welcome to another episode of the DC Podcast. I'm Russell Berger, and I have a special guest with me today.
1: I'm Catherine Berger,
0: and Catherine is here because why are you here, Catherine? Because we just we like we like lady pastors and want to have women teaching.
1: Because Sean's out of <laughs> town, I
0: think. <laughs> yeah, Sean, well, it's more than that. So Sean is Sean is out of town. He's taking a much needed uh, break, and while he's gone, we are going to continue our series on prosperity theology on Word of Faith teaching and this subject in particular that we're going to be talking about today i thought you could offer some particularly good insights on because one of the things that prosperity theology promises is
1: health wealth and happiness
0: health wealth and happiness and you are happy well you're not <laughs> always you're also a resident sick person yes so you've thought a lot about the theology we've wrestled through this together as a married couple we've we've had to study scripture and try and wrap our minds around things like sickness in the gospel yes. what we're going to do today is we're going to take the promises that prosperity theology usually leads with, this health, wealth, and happiness idea. And we're going to look at where they're getting that in the Bible or or what proof texts they're using to justify that teaching. So one of the main places they go, interestingly enough, is the atonement. So we're going to talk about the atonement, Christ's work on the cross, and what that means. So when we talk about the atonement from a word of faith, uh, prosperity theology point of view, what are we talking about? How do they view the atonement?
1: Uh, they view it not only as Christ dying for our sins, but also as Him dying basically for our suffering, for our sickness, poverty, uh, sorrow, all of that being heaped upon Him, you know, through through His suffering on His way to the cross, dying on the cross, and so basically Him having done that and just kind of having a reservoir of all of that that we can tap into and we should, through faith, be able to find healing. Um, riches you yeah. know all
0: sorts of things. Yeah, so the word you use there I think is key. It's it, they they view the atonement as the creation of this reservoir of spiritual blessings that you can tap into if you exercise your faith. And so if you're not experiencing these blessings, uh, it's on you to fix that because Correct. there's there's clearly something wrong. Now, I I don't want to knock down a bunch of straw men today. I want to make sure that we're interacting with the the brightest and best minds of this word of faith theology. And so we're going to do a lot of quoting. We're going, to, we're going to read verbatim from other people's words. If you're not into that sort of thing, this is probably the wrong episode for you. Uh, but I have three quotes right here that kind of help frame this understanding of the atonement as creating a reservoir of blessings. Uh, the first is from Andrew Womack. He says, God's supernatural divine healing is available to all of us, and it is part of the atonement that Jesus died to produce. So there's that idea of producing these blessings that we can then take hold of. Uh, Here's Colin Urquhart talking about this idea of healing in the atonement. He says, When Jesus stood bearing the lashes from the Roman soldiers, all our physical pain and sickness were being heaped upon him. It is as if one lash was for cancer, another for bone disease, another for heart disease, and so on. Everything that causes physical pain was laid on Jesus as the nails were driven into his hands and feet. And then finally, this is from a teacher by the name of Derek Walker. Every new covenant blessing is ours through Christ's atonement, including financial blessing. So again, I want to make sure we're being accurate and fair in the way that we try and summarize the views of these teachers. Uh, So as we go along, you're going to hear us quote for them. But primarily, we're going to interact with healing in the atonement. It's historically the first of these doctrines to develop. It's the one that people tend to embrace more frequently. Uh, even people who would deny a lot of the teachings of the Word of faith movement and prosperity theology will still embrace healing in the atonement. Um, but they share the same errors. Mm-hmm. So whether you say, well, the, the atonement gives us financial blessing or the atonement gives us healing, it's the same basic idea that that they're that they're operating from. So what are the errors here? Well, the first and biggest error that I would say this this stems from is a confusion of cause and effect, right? So it's a confusion of the sin. From the effects of the sin, can you give me an example?
1: Well, I guess just saying that you know the things that arose from the fall, mm-hmm. uh, versus saying that the person is sick because of something that is inside of them that they're doing incorrectly.
0: Right. So sin uh, versus you know your actually the act of sinning versus the effects of sin that maybe are both part of this natural world. Effects of the fall, uh, disease, sickness, injustice, all the things that we experience as creatures living in a fallen world. So yeah, it's that conflation of cause and effect that leads to a lot of this language of, you know, Jesus bore your sickness as if sickness itself was a sin. Uh, So where does that come from? Well, one of the main places this comes from and where teachers who teach this will point to is Isaiah. Uh, You have it pulled up on your phone, don't you?
1: It's Isaiah uh, 53, 4 and 5, and they'll often use the King James Version. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read from that one. Uh, Bear with me if I speak incorrectly. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed.
0: Yeah, so with his stripes we are healed. With the lashes that he experienced uh, from the Roman guards, he he bore our sicknesses and our illnesses and our grief. Uh various translations will say he bore our pain right. uh, when we see this verse used in fulfillment of of that prophetic foreshadowing we see it used in matthew in matthew's gospel he speaks very plainly in his translation of that text about the sickness side of things that jesus was healing people physically in his ministry in his ministry on earth right uh we see peter use the same thing in his first letter in scripture but he uses it in a much more spiritual sense or uh, if, if you read it within the context there right. it's clear that he's talking about this the saving and healing of souls but there is an element and i, I want to be fair here: there is an element to which this is very clearly talking about physical healing
1: and i think that's mostly when you read it in matthew yeah um and i and i don't like you said i don't think that's the case in peter and i think it's really important that each text is is read in context right. and within the entire Bible. <laughs> that's right. Right.
0: So here's where we see prosperity teachers use this. Uh, Gloria Copeland says, Jesus bore your sicknesses and carried your diseases at the same time and in the same manner that he bore your sins. And that's her drawing from this text. Uh, and that's just not true. That That's not true at all. What we see here happening in Isaiah, if you understand, if, if your hermeneutic includes figures of speech, you will recognize that Isaiah is using a figure of speech called a metonymy. And a metonymy is something that not only does Isaiah use and other prophets use, but it's throughout the Psalms. It's, it's a very common figure of speech within the Old Testament. And basically, a metonymy is where you take two things, two, two concepts, two terms. And those terms happen to be so closely related that you can switch them out for the sake of brevity and still get your point across. Right. Uh, cause and effect, switch them around. Right. That's right. what we see happening here. Uh, g- a good example of this is I Googled it. Mm-hmm. So Google is a company, yes. but I can turn it into a verb that basically means I went online and I searched for it. And I can just say I Googled it. Right. That's a metonymy. So a good biblical example of this metonymy uh, in the New Testament is found in Luke chapter 16 with the rich man and Lazarus. So Lazarus is, is suffering and miserable after death. And he's saying, Lord, I beg of you, send... Lazarus to my family to warn them. I've got five brothers and I don't want them to end up end, end up in the same situation that I'm in. And this is what Abraham says. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. So basically he's saying they have the law, the Pentateuch. They have, they have the Old Testament. But he uses Moses and the prophets, the authors of the Old Testament as sort of a substitution for that. That's another metonymy. This figure of speech here In Isaiah uh, is the same thing. Jesus did not literally bear our sicknesses. That's the effect of the sin. He also, this is interesting too, so in 1 Peter chapter 2 we see Peter says, he himself, this is Jesus, bore our sins on his body on the cross. That's actually a metonymy too. Right. Jesus didn't literally bear our sicknesses. They weren't laid on him in a physical, literal sense. He didn't literally bear our sins in a physical, literal sense. He bore the wrath of God, the punishment, the penal aspect of our right. sins that we deserved. He bore that in our place because of our sins. And because disease and sickness and death are all an effective sin, all of those terms can be interchangeably used within this figure of speech. And the biblical authors get their point across per- perfectly well. Right. So, we just need to be careful not to confuse sickness with sin. So, Christ bore our punishment that we deserve for our sins. That sickness is not a debt that needed to be paid for. Right. Our sin incurred a debt that the justice of God demanded be paid. And if we confuse those things, we're going to end up with some really strange theology about Jesus bear, literally bearing cancer and heart disease and infertility and all the other diseases we experience. Right. Um, which, is, which is just an overliteralization of the text and a failure to recognize a very common figure of speech within the Old Testament. Now, A.B. Simpson, who's a very prominent early Pentecostal faith teacher who, who wrote extensively on this subject, he says that you can't just spiritualize away what Isaiah and Matthew and, and First Peter say in this text and that it has to be about physical healing. And he says, if you deny that, you're twisting scripture, it's so clearly about physical healing. Uh, And what do we say to that?
1: Well, we can still say that it it does achieve a physical healing at some point, and we will have glorified bodies, and we will all be healed, and and death was overcome on the cross. But that doesn't mean that none of us will die right now, Right. and that we'll all be healed in this life, or in this moment.
0: That, and that's really important. So a lot of faith, heal, faith healing teachers and a lot of uh, uh, prosperity gospel teachers will say as their defense, this is about physical healing. Can't you see that Isaiah is talking literally about healing, physical injury and sickness? And we say, yes, yes, he is. Mm-hmm. But how do you go from that to it is a normative experience in the christian life for all believers to have full healing now that's the gap that we have to get through and i would say and i think scripture attests to the fact that that's not a promise that we receive in this life as believers so this is big error number two remember error number one was confusing uh sin with the effects of sin Mm -hmm. conflating the two treating sickness and poverty as if that's a debt that christ paid uh, which is just misreading the text error number two is failing To recognize the God-given distinctions between the past, present, and future realities of our salvation. Mm -hmm. So scripture speaks of our salvation as a past, present, and future reality. Many people don't read their Bibles uh, thoroughly and well enough to to recognize this, but I'm going to give you a couple brief examples. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, so that's past tense. You have been saved. So this means that we've been justified, we've been adopted, and we've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. This is a past tense reality Mm -hmm. for all true believers. Present. 1 Corinthians, same author, this is Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay, so now we're in the present tense. We are being saved. Uh, You can also think of Paul writing to the Philippians about working our salvation out with fear and trembling. Right. So Paul is now referring to this this process of sanctification and perseverance, Mm -hmm. whereby the Holy Spirit working in our hearts is shaping our hearts, changing our desires, building us up into the image of Christ slowly and often very painfully. I was about
1: to say, and maybe even through suffering and (laughs) sickness and poverty. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. (laughs) So um, finally, future. All right. Paul also writes to the Romans in chapter 5, verse 9. He says, Having now been justified, past tense, by his blood, we shall be saved, future tense, from wrath through him. So here we have Paul pointing to the future reality, the final vindication of our faith before God, where the dead will be raised and we will be given new glorified bodies and we will be ushered into the, the kingdom of God when Christ returns and his kingdom is consummated. So, This is the the glorious future hope that we have as believers, and yet scripture speaks to it as a future hope. This is why often you'll hear uh, theologians and teachers talk about the already and the not yet of the blessings of of being in Christ. Mm -hmm. So some of these things we experience now, uh, and some of these things we can only look forward to trusting in Christ and his promises, uh, and that's where we get our hope.
1: Right, right we don't necessarily need the things that the prosperity gospel is promising us, the things that really actually make us focus on this life mm-hmm. too much. Often, yep. And instead of thinking about, you know, focusing on Christ and imitating Him, like you said, mm-hmm. and then also thinking of, you know, the the unseen, the eternal, and and the, yeah. the hope that we have because of Christ and the eternal life um, that we look forward to.
0: That's right. And your f- and faith is a hope in things unseen. That's right. And, and so what we see here is, again, I want to be fair. I want to recognize that those who teach that all these blessings of the atonement are really there in Scripture. They're right. There right. is healing in the atonement. There is a defeat of death in the atonement. There is a defeat of poverty and injustice and disease and infirmity and every evil mm-hmm. that sin has brought into this world is taken care of in the right. atonement. Because Christ... Through his sacrifice paid the debt of our sin and ultimately we will be freed from sin and all of its consequences but that is ultimately that is not now and so it's a failure to recognize these temporal distinctions that scripture makes very clear that these prosperity teachers uh it leads to their expecting that we can access these blessings in this life right now um, i'm going to quote some scripture here just to make sure that this point is really driven home The atonement secured an inheritance for us. So these blessings are secured and we get that language, that that future promise from Paul. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is our guarantee until we acquire the full experience of the blessings of Christ. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 and 22, he says, "...and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee." This word guarantee that he uses is really important in, in in both of the texts that I just read. It's the same word. Mm-hmm. It's the Greek word Erebona. Erebona, uh, I think it's an omega. Uh, it has a Hebrew origin, and basically this word refers to a payment or a property that's given, sort of the, the part of the purchase that's given ahead of time as a promise, as a the security, pay- <laughs> Yeah, as a down payment. Mm-hmm. It's a security for the future fulfillment of the rest of that payment. So that is exactly... The opposite of what is taught by a lot of this healing in the atonement and prosperity theology that says, oh, no, you get it all right now. Paul is saying, no, no, no. Those future ble- blessings that we all will experience, the the freedom from sin and disease and all the consequences of sin, that's in the future. And the Holy Spirit is your down payment in this life.
1: And that does mean, right, that we can still work at those things. I mean, it, we don't have license to sin just because just we don't have it yet. Right, right, right
0: yeah so yeah and that's where he's you know paul talks about the present reality of our salvation we are we are being sanctified Mm -hmm. we are uh working out our salvation with fear and trembling we're trying to help one another get to heaven as a church all of these realities uh present tense realities are still there Mm -hmm. um we see often when we interact with teachers of this theology with word of faith teachers they will point to another verse that i want to highlight because it's very common to argue against this and they'll say no 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 all the effects of the curse have been undone in the atonement and so we don't have to experience any of that in this life and they will read from galatians chapter three yep. uh, where galatians chapter three says christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that christ jesus the blessing of abraham might come to the gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith and so they'll say, hey, guys, curse has been lifted. Uh, you should be wealthy. You should be happy. You should be healthy. And if it's not the case, then you just aren't having enough faith because the curse is done. It's, it's not it's not on you anymore. Well, here's a good example of a teacher who says this very thing. So it doesn't sound like I'm, again, creating a straw man. Uh, Tom Brown, another prosperity teacher, says, many know Christ redeemed them from sin, but few know he redeemed them from the curse of the law. Paul had in mind the curse uttered at the top of Mount Ebal. Several curses were included, such as fever, inflammation, painful boils, severe and lingering illnesses, diseases of Egypt, and every kind of sickness not recorded in the book of the law. Now, if Christ redeemed you from the curses, then why should you continue to carry them? And he goes on to say, basically, you have no reason to be sick because the curse has been lifted. To which we say...
1: Oh, I just want (laughs) to be.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah. Well... well, (laughs) Yeah. So there's, there's an element of that. And we're going to talk about this in the next episode, which I really hope you'll be able to join us for.
1: I plan to. You can
0: make that 50 foot walk across the house. It would be (laughs) a real pleasure to have you. Yes. I want to talk about how this view leads to a lot of very significant spiritual harm in the people that, that don't receive the healing that they want.
1: Right.
0: And that's really important because we're not, we're not just doing this episode so that we can feel good about being right. We're not, (laughs)
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> we're not trying to
0: flex our <laughs> theological muscles and just prove that we're smarter and that we read our Bibles better. We are concerned, deeply concerned, about the effect that this theology has on people uh, because it is very harmful.
1: It is. It, it not only um, takes away from the true gospel and what Christ did do on the cross, but it also really harms uh, people, whether they're new Christians, whether... Um, whether they're people that are just approached, you know, by these people, um, they're sick. Maybe they're not Christians at all, uh, and they get they get a really distorted view of, of from, what the, from faith healers. Yes, yeah. yes, from faith healers. Sorry, of of what the gospel is, and right. and I've experienced this because I'm sick, um, and and I've had word of faith people come up to me in airports, churches, you know, and they may
0: have the parks. best the best intentions, absolutely, but their theology is harmful. And so, yeah. last thing before we wrap this up. This is a really compelling argument against this in, in my mind, and that is that if you look at this lifting of the curse and you see everything that Jesus accomplished through the atonement and you assume that it's a present reality for us right now as believers, then we shouldn't die. Right. I'll make that real clear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Christ abolished death, right? Right? So if Christ abolished death, past tense, if he defeated death, which every believing Christian should say, yes, amen, he defeated death. Why do we experience death in this life? Well, I haven't met a single teacher of healing in the atonement or prosperity theology or word of faith who believes you can live forever. And the reason is, is because everyone dies. They die as well. The reason we die is because we do not fully experience all the blessings that Christ secured for us in the atonement in this life. We look forward to that future hope to, as Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 8, the redemption of our bodies. Mm -hmm. We're looking forward to that. This is Paul's language, not mine. This is scripture speaking, not me. Mm -hmm. We have the Holy Spirit as our guarantee, as our down payment. But until then, nature is still red in tooth and claw. There are still microbes that will make you sick there's still viruses there's still tornadoes the curse is still very much at work in this fallen world and so we can't we can't pretend we can't fool ourselves into thinking that uh, just because Christ's work on the atonement defeated death that we can experience that fully now um, anything you want to add to that
1: well I do want to say that this doesn't mean that we don't believe that that Christ can heal people Right. Um, we're not saying that that never happens. That isn't something that that people should pray for. Yeah, pray we for believe healing. we
0: believe the Lord miraculously heals yes. if He wills.
1: Right. But but the important thing is it is His will, right. and I I believe in praying that way, and right. I think Jesus teaches us right. uh, and, to pray that way. And I'd like to
0: talk more about that in our next episode for sure. Uh, but the big thing here is this this idea that you can be healed now, fully and completely, and you can be freed from poverty that you should be (laughs) and that this is a normative experience for every true believer it's just simply not in scripture Uh, i'm gonna leave you with this this is you know the positive vision of what we believe the atonement is that's the atonement secured for us all of these amazing blessings and we will experience them fully when christ returns um first corinthians chapter 5 verse 22 through 26 paul says this when Christ returns, or when we go to be with Him, you will be freed from sin. But in this life, we have to just continually trust in Him and His Holy Spirit working in us, uh, and and that is a different sort of hope. It's a different sort of promise, and it is a much more beautiful and sure promise than the promise that you can be healed right now, today, uh, because that promise is not biblical. Right. So uh, resources you can check our uh, comments and this are not comments. The the episode description there we go check the episode description we have a couple books on prosperity theology that i'd like you to check out and uh stay tuned we're gonna have more episodes on this very subject soon so th- thanks for having me thanks Catherine, our <laughs> special guest also thank you to our two interns who've been helping us if you've noticed our website has a little bit more posting going on it's because we have some people who actually pay attention to it <laughs> uh, so yeah follow us on facebook twitter instagram all that good stuff and uh, look forward to some exciting future content right. Thanks for listening.
1: Thanks.